Good morning and welcome to the Removing Confusion podcast. This is Tom Richardson. It is Friday, September the 22nd, 2022. I have been feverishly working here at the studio to come up with a new opening for the show that uh, that I, I hope will stick. Uh, the one that I have, and I'm going to play it for you right now, this is kind of like a a debut. It's a little bit long, uh, probably too long for an opening, but uh, I'm going to play it anyway. There's there's a lot of really good stuff in here that uh, over over a period of weeks, we may dissect some of this uh, that comes from these fabulous preachers of the past and present and discuss them. So let's go ahead and, and let's see this ham-fisted way of doing an opening for a show. Here we go. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. The Lord Jesus, look at me now. Our Lord Jesus Christ will have nothing to do with surface faith. God wants men, he wants women full of the Holy Ghost, purified until they have no will. Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. In perfect unison with him. God doesn't raise up denominations, he raises up men. Then out of the men, maybe something grows. God raised up Wesley, Charles and John. Before that he raised, of course, George Whitfield, who was the torchbearer actually. But look what happened, they shook the world. Luther, he shook the world. very little of the fear of God among today's Christians. There's no fear in the church for God. The fear of God is absent from the church. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from their evil. Nobody's convicted of anything anymore. You live in an insane society, for there is no fear of God in their eyes. Nobody fears God anymore. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. I don't ask people if they're saved anymore. Who isn't saved? From the White House to the jailhouse. <clears throat> I look a person in the eye and say, does Christ live in you? And I want you to know that when you take a look at American Christianity, it is based more upon a godless culture than it is upon the Word of God. And so many people are deceived and so many youth are deceived and so many adults are deceived into believing that because they prayed a prayer one time in their life they're going to heaven and you can't substitute the work of the Spirit of God with some little method of taking a verse out of context getting them to pray a prayer and then popishly declaring them to be safe so that you can walk away with another notch on your belt. 
And there it is, amidst an explosion, I come back to talk to you. This is, a, yeah, they say, it's a little bit of a long opening, I think, and I'm, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to parry it down a little bit. Uh, it was hard for me, though, because a lot of the stuff that uh, I, I segmented into there and I put in reaches a deep chord with me. And, you know, I've been told throughout my Christian walk by a lot of different theologians and pastors that, you know, say that prayer, uh, get dipped in the water, and it's all good. You can go back and do whatever you want now, and I really have a problem with that. I really do. Um, And we're going to look at some things probably over a period of however long I decide to do it. I'm not really big on putting together a long, drawn-out series. Uh, I have a, 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 a pastor that uh, we, we used to communicate back and forth in, in emails a lot, J- David Lankford, who's very good at putting together long series. I mean, he exegetes passages of scripture that you know one chapter and it'll take him you know 21 shows to get through the first three verses and he does an excellent job of it i uh i can do that but i don't want to lose you in the in the weeds i will i will get you i hopefully what we're we want to do is raise up a community that is hungry for more that is my that's my basic tenet in Christianity in in this walk with Jesus that I'm on. I wish I would have had 30 years ago such a motivation, such an, uh, uh, or I should remove that. I had the motivation, but I didn't have the motivators. You know, all you had back then in 1988 was uh, Christian TV and Christian radio. Uh, where I happened to live at the time was Fayetteville, North Carolina area, and there was, you know, the, thankfully, I think, we didn't get TBN. That was a, the big Christian TV of the day, as we know. You know, so I listened to a lot of Christian radio, and there was some good ones down there. A lot of the, you know, that, that southernish, not necessarily Baptist, but very close to, and there was a lot of Baptists. But, you know, you just didn't get that in-depthness. You know, a, a preacher would come on for a half an hour, and he just couldn't really, you know, once he gets warmed up, it's over. You know, when you have a guy that can do YouTube videos, you know, he can get warmed up in the first one and then carry on into the next 27, if that's the way it be. The problem is we don't have enough people who want to be motivated because they go to church, they feel that's enough. They listen to their pastor, and sometimes he tells them, that's enough. I heard a guy say one time in a church that I attended that he was against home Bible study groups. I've I've probably mentioned that before because it stuck with me. He has gone on to his reward with the Lord, but I hope there was a question or two about that statement. When you start to tell people you don't need to meet outside of the church house together 
You don't have that wonderful uh, circle of having the pastor with you because normally they won't be. They're too busy with busy work. I've had, I've had them from every ilk that were too busy with the busy work. Some that got into politics. Some that had a job on his side because you don't make a lot as a preacher usually. Some that were so busy with the, just the little intricacies of cleanup that they, they, they don't even think they take time to do good study. That's why when Sunday rolls around, they're worn out. They get up and they rush through a sermon that uh, really doesn't hit a chord with more than one person in the group. Now, you know, sometimes that's enough. But, you know, when you have a group of people, you want to be able to grab them and pull them in so that they can get something from what you're saying. Not to hash together. I, I've had, this has been the, a not, this is just the, the, I've only had one guy over the many years I know of that uh, I sat in a church that didn't tell one story after another. And that's preachers from the Baptists to the Assemblies of God. In between there, there was the guy that he actually asked permission from the pulpit, hey, I would like to tell this story because it fits. And I thought, wow, that's something different. Because most of them, everything is, you know, heavy-laden story, no scripture. With here, at this format that I have, and where I've kind of headed into, you know, I, I, there for a while I got into the newsy thing. I decided, you know what, there's enough good news guys out there. They don't need me. I need to get back to where I feel comfortable. You know, I, I, can, I can do this thing where I'm comfortable. I can talk about Jesus because that's what I want to do. The news is out there. Find it. Watch it. Listen to it. Read it, whatever you got to do. If you have an internet connection, uh, because if you're listening to me, you do, you can find the news. You just might have to work at it a little bit if you're not internet savvy. But let me say this. We need to get back to the real church. I am sick and tired. Sick and and tired of denominational infighting. I don't even like denominations. Um, I'm not totally against them, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually doing a, a a little bit of a a, a video study with a guy that, that talks about that whole thing. And you know, the thing of it is, is I, I could quit watching him now because I agree with 100 percent what he's saying. <laughs> Every one of them has some fault. They have some teaching that doesn't line up with Scripture. 90% of it ends up being the pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, Another goodly percentage tells you that you're once saved, always saved, can't lose your salvation, you know, all that kind of thing. You know, the thing of it is, did you have it in the first place? And that's an argument for all day long. Jesus said those who if you endure to the end um I just read a verse that I had scribbled on a piece of paper a little while ago 
that, uh, you know, these are the unpleasant, hard-hitting things in Scripture that many preachers they don't talk about because, oh, well, I need to keep the crowd happy. I need to keep people, oh, here it is, John 8, 31, 32. 32 is the, uh, uh, I am the truth, and the truth will make you free, John 8, 31. If you continue in my word. In other words, do what I tell you, Jesus said. Do what the word says. Look at what I've been telling you all along, how to obtain eternal life. He told Nicodemus when he came to him, how do I obtain eternal life? You, know, well, you have to be born again. When you're born again, it doesn't mean you, uh, like in golf, you get a mulligan when you hit a bad shot. It means you're being born again. You're being reborn, rebirthed, however you want to cut it. It's, it's not a, oh, let me say a prayer and then go right back to where I was at. And if, if the guy who leads you to the Lord through the guiding of the Holy Ghost allows you to just slip back into the world, doesn't follow up on you, then he needs to really check his reins a little bit too. There's so much to this, and it's such an easy thing. You know, we're not trying to apply steps to salvation. Being reborn, being born again, what does that mean? Think about it. Break it down in your own mind. The people that are listening I know are intelligent folks. It means you're starting over. Do you want to start over? This new life, it's what it is. It's a new life. You've been given a new life here, now. Not just the eternal life that you will attain at at your passing or at the return of, of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. You have a new life now. You are gifted with the mind of Christ We've talked about bringing things captive in our minds to the obedience of Christ. We're always going to have negative thoughts. We're always going to have things that hit us from left and right and, and forward and backward. There's no way around it. That's just the way life here on this planet goes. And we need to exercise that a little bit a bad choice of words probably uh, as we think of the exorcist or something but you know try to get these things you know, how about excise them have them chopped out of our lifestyle you know the cursing the smoking the drinking all the merriment the the evil thoughts the adultery the fornication these are things that paul tells the churches over and over again now who's he telling that to to abstain from these things, to stay away from these things. He's telling it to the churches because he knows it, even in these churches, the church of Philippi, the church at uh, Corinth, Galatia, Thessalonica, they still had those issues and those problems that waited on them, weighted as in heavy weight. I made a statement more than once on this platform and in where I, where in places where I'm allowed to preach, where I say, you know, people tell you that, you know, you're a sinner saved by grace. You are. 
And that is true. But that doesn't say you need to focus more on the sinning and less on the grace. Because grace covers it all. Paul said, should I sin continually because I have grace? God forbid. God forbid. Not Paul forbid. God forbid. God doesn't want us sinning willfully. The Apostle John wrote as well that he who carries on in sin, I'm I'm paraphrasing, I'm way out of my notes here, but he who discontinues in sin, don't do it. Don't get in it. Don't listen to the Southern Seminary guys and the Baptists and all the other OSAS guys out there that tell you, oh, you're, you're a sinner saved by grace, just sin away. It's like they give you a license to do it because you have Jesus now. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your being, if you can still sin as much as you want as you did at one point in time in your life prior to salvation, you have a problem. I've said this before as well. I pray to the Lord God, don't let me get to the point where when I do sin, which I will, and we all will, that I don't feel that that little twinge that runs through your body. It's like a little electric shock almost. That is the Holy Ghost. That is the Holy Spirit reminding you of who you are and who bought you. For the next several shows, I'm going to be looking at a uh, portion of the Scriptures first peter so well i'm gonna play a song this is getting to be a thing i like to do uh this is uh this is a pretty good one most of what i'm doing these days is hillbilly tunes so that's okay with you i would guess but this is a this is if you listen to the words they're amazing and the name of the group is the Wilburns. And the name of the song is More Than Religion. They gather on Sunday with choir robes and Bibles. Many are just playing the game. Come Monday morning, Back to the old ways Lives that never were changed Preaching the sermons And Sunday school lessons At the dismissal prior It's all gone They say that's for Sunday Through the week it's just my way I'm a church member Leave me alone It takes more than religion more than religion Or just saying some prayer Just saying some prayer It's more than just going More than just going To a church house somewhere More than stained glass and steeple Stained glass and steeple More than offerings and tithes Offerings and tithes It was blood-bought salvation 
that made a change in my life. I'm no theologian, master of scripture. There's a whole lot of things I don't know. I know what happened that night at the altar When mercy touched my sinful soul Burdens were lifted, sins were forgotten In the Lamb's book God wrote down my name As I stood there I noticed a brand new creation When Jesus saved me I was changed It takes more than religion more than religion Or just saying some prayers Just saying some prayers It's more than just going More than just going To a church house somewhere More than stained glass and steeples Stained glass and steeples More than offerings and tithes Offerings and tithes It was blood-bought salvation That made a change in my life Oh, it takes more than religion More than religion Or just saying some prayers Just saying some prayers It's more than just going More than just going To a church house somewhere More than stained glass and steeples Stained glass and steeples More than offerings and tithes It was blood-bought salvation That made a change in my life It was blood-bought salvation That made a change in my life Amen. Now, you don't have to like that kind of music to listen to the words and get the gist of it. There's more than just saying some prayer. There's more than throwing your money in the plate and saying, I made it to church somewhere. You know, that is what it's been kind of boiled down to in a lot of places is, well, you're in the church house. Okay, well, you're not saved if you're sitting there going out the same way you came in. Remember the parable of the publican and the Pharisee that Jesus told, where he said that the the publican stood afar off and, and smote his own chest and said, I'm a sinner. And the Pharisee stood way up front and said, hey, I tithe. He, he prayed to himself. I tithe. I give mint. I do this. I do that. I'm a Pharisee. And Jesus said that public and walked down to his house changed. The Pharisee went to his the same way he came in. You want to leave your church house changed. And I honestly believe if there's Holy Ghost inspired preaching, if there's people who aren't afraid, pastors, I should say, that aren't afraid to stand up and say what needs to be said, to help people along, not to be holier than thou, but to stand up and say what needs to be said. 
to bring people closer to Jesus and in a walk that is reflecting that life that Jesus exampled for us. We would see changes in our churches. We would see changes in people. We would, we, and you know, it's not, it's not a thing where, oh, let us, you know, do this so that we can pick out the ones that are bad. No. You find out who needs help. When we get into this bit of First uh, Peter, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of Peter talking to us about um, persecution, suffering, but carrying on because it's not always easy. Specifically, back in their day, people were fed to lions for their trusting and believing in Christ. It's a pretty heavy weight, isn't it? Let's look at some, and I love. I've been. I've been. Uh, I've been parked in in the books of Peter for quite some time now. You know, you got the you got the typical verse verse one, uh, chapter one. You know, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and uh, Bithynia. When he says strangers, he, he, he means those that have been in the dispersion, those that have been thrown out of their, uh, you know, the, the Romans threw out, you know, went out and threw the Jews out and sent them all over the place. And there were those amongst them that were Christians. So he's writing to them as strangers. But they're not really, they're just strangers where they are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. If I don't get any further than that today, uh, we really need to kind of break that down just a bit because there's some pretty intense stuff in there, isn't there? First of all, we don't hear the word sanctification as much as we may have in the past. Oh, you know, there's there's sermons that will get preached about it. Now, I'm not saying everywhere. I'm just saying in the nominal, uh, let's go to Sunday church because it's something to do. And I, I really, it just bugs me. Now let's look at a few things, the elect. Those are the people that are saved. Ultra Calvinists have an, another idea about that. I'm not here to argue with them or bash them, so I'm going to leave it alone. We'll leave it at the electos or the elect. I was reading the Greek here. The electos that were called out. They're 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 the ones that that have accepted Christ as their Savior and they've gone forward to the foreknowledge. He says, "Now you may have heard the word prognosis before." 
uh, and that's actually the Greek word for this prognosis. That's when you go to the doctor and you, he says, well, you've got this, you know, usually it's a horrible thing, uh, or, you know, you've been shot, whatever. And what's your prognosis? What's my prognosis doc? Well, my prognosis is a uh, good or bad, you know, but God knows this one. This is the prognosis or the foreknowledge of God, the father. Who is the father? God. Now, sanctification of the spirit there's where i could park on this for a while because it's not taught very often sanctification as a whole gets left out of a lot of things we just talk about well i had to clean myself up had to quit drinking smoking cussing had to you know quit push myself away from the table because overeating is a sin as well I had to get those bad thoughts out of my, my skull. I had to put down that Playboy magazine. I'd burn it in a fire. Had a Ouija board in the house. We sanctified that too. Yeah, it goes on and on. It goes on and on. But those are things that perhaps the Spirit of God has worked on you to stop if you've allowed him or, you know, you, you, and you know what, God doesn't stop us from cleaning ourselves up, but I believe he wants us to stop at bragging about what I did. And, you know, sometimes you have to get caught in one of your chosen little willful sins before you give it up. You know, that, that husband that's walking through the local store with the wife and the girl walks by with these extremely tight shorts on that are leave nothing to imagination. And his head spins around backwards like he's, again, using my, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> you know, you, ah, eyes popping out and she's like, what are you looking at? Well, that's sanctification by the wife. But you know you got caught. I'm just using that as a rather informal and humorous um, analogy. But the thing of it is, is sometimes, yes, we do have to get caught in something by someone of a, I hate to say this this way, but higher spiritual calling. You're standing out there at the local whatever, or you're you're walking out, wobbling out of the pub, and the preacher drives by and waves at you. Says, "Hey, Tom, how you doing?" You got caught, and you know you were wrong. You knew where you were wrong when you walked in, sat down, and ordered up. And instead of saying, "You know, bring me a glass of." Um, soda water or tonic or whatever, you add some gin to it too. Then they had another one. Buddies bought you some more. And you, you know, you had all the great intentions when you went in. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to win people to the Lord. Well, you, you know, that's when you're a baby Christian, don't try those things. Do it outside those venues because it's much easier to 
attract them there. Keep their attention and not have them pull you down. The sanctification of the spirit. You know, the human spirit has a strength that it, that it gains from what we feed it. You know, I can give all the examples we already know. And again, it's, it's what you watch. I mean, today, you know, we have the communication device called the TV and the Internet, which is full of uh, decent stuff probably less decent than there is contaminating stuff. So we have to watch what we watch. We have to watch what we feed that human spirit. I got into this in, in a message I did just yesterday of the Holy Spirit and how we can quench grieve, resist, and vex the Spirit of God. Now, I want to touch on those because, you know, i got to watch what I do in the uh, open church area or arena because I'm, I'm pretty well sifted there. So I'll, I can do whatever I want here. If you don't like it, you can flick the switch on me. I wish you wouldn't. I need more to flick the switch on. The Lord will add to that number. Here's what I have to say. Quench the Spirit. It's, the Spirit of God is likened unto fire, as we know in the second chapter of Acts. And you, oh, we're not going to talk about that Pentecostal charismatic stuff. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I believe in real Pentecostal activity, and that is people who are led by the Spirit closer to Christ because that is what the Holy Spirit does. In all things, he points us towards Christ. He is the main exalter in our lives towards Christ. So we don't want to throw a bucket of water, quench, means to actually dose that, dealt, you know, whatever the word I'm trying to say, is throw a bucket of water on that fire that burns within us, which is coming from a good spot, the Holy Spirit. We don't want to quench that. We want, to, we want that fire to grow. And again, this isn't a call out for talking in tongues and para, prof, 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 prophesying out of out of order, because it, it, Paul also wrote to the church and he says, you know, we do things, we keep things ruly in the in the service. Bursting out in tongues in the middle of a Baptist service will get you nowhere, or any other service. It should be completely looked down upon. Because the Holy Spirit usually does not work that way. But we don't want to quench him when we are in our own, like right now. I don't want to quench the Spirit. I want him to grow and, and, and give me more that I can pass on to you. As it burns a little bit brighter in my spirit, in my body, in my mind, I'm, I'm empowered to do what I do 
and I can only be, I mean, I can do it on my own, but it'll show in the end that it wasn't driven by God. It was driven by Tom. It'll have no effect. It won't reach into you and, and maybe give you something to think about, something godly to think about. So don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't try to keep him down because he's not going to make you unruly. He's not going to make you do things in a setting where they shouldn't happen. But there will be times, perhaps you know someone who needs to hear about Jesus, who needs to be led down the road to Christ. And he, the Holy Spirit, will lead you there. But if you sit there and you resist him, again, that's resisting. Resisting can actually put the, the quenching go together. But you can, you can douse that flame within you. And then it takes a while to get that flame to fire back up. You never know when the last chance you're going to have. And sometimes you learn from not doing it that it was the last chance that he, you and that person had. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't, if, he's, if he's burning within you, uh, again, he's not going to make you do anything that you should not. Don't resist him. Again, it's kind of the falls. These things can all fall on the same sword, resisting the Holy Spirit. He's telling you to step up. Step up and say it. I'm not going to tell you, this is him speaking to you, the, 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 the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to have you say something incorrect. Jesus said, I believe it's Matthew 24, don't worry about the things that you'll need to say in that day. You will have perfect remembrance of what I want you to say, and it will be guided by the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost comes and resides within you, you have that helper. You have that comforter. You have that, that sanctifier who's going to help you to grow. See, I know people that are probably in 40 years a Christian, and, and they haven't grown because they haven't been taught things like we're doing right now. They're not pointed into the scriptures to check it out and see what's really there. Let me go on. Resist the Holy Spirit. Don't resist him. Grieve the Holy Spirit. Think about that word. Grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we, we kind of pass words off uh, as, you know, well, we don't want to grieve him. You know, that makes him upset. What makes you grieve as a human? I'll tell you what makes you grieve. Death. That's, that's the main point of grief. You know, we have all kinds of groups out there that you remember, grief groups and grief counseling. Usually you don't have to go to those because you broke up with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, or had a divorce, although you may need it. Excuse me. Grief counseling usually comes about from the, from the death of someone. Grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, he's not going to die. But he's in grief over some action that I have performed. I've caused 
the Spirit of God to grieve in some action. I'm sure I have. None of these things lead to your downfall and you're, you're automatically going to hell. You know, that's just not true. Because as humans with the sin nature it built in from the factory, we are always going to do things that we shouldn't do and say things that we shouldn't say. Get involved in things that we shouldn't get involved in. And these things cause us problems. But, you know, when you're, here's the thing, when you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God unto salvation, you don't want to grieve someone that lives within you. Let that sink in for a minute. In Isaiah, and forgive me, I don't have the exact verse. I'll try to remember to snip it in somewhere. Isaiah speaks about vexing the Holy Spirit because of their stiff-neckedness and their and their rebellion. He's speaking of Israel. Uh, they vexed the Spirit of God. Goodness gracious, can you imagine that? Vexing's pretty intense. I I don't want to do that either. See, none of these things are things you want to do. These are not things that if you consciously, consciously consider them, you won't do them because you start to remind yourself, wait a minute, it is God. It is the spirit of Jesus that lives within me. You know, we, this is downplayed in that prayer that we talk about so much. You know, ask Jesus into your heart and then drop it. What's that mean? Where's that from? What verse in the Bible does that jump off the page from? You won't find it. But it does say, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come and he will dwell within you and in you. So the Spirit of God is there taking up residence in you. Goodness gracious. So, let's go a little further. As soon as I get my spectacles back on here so I can see what I'm doing. In that, this is verse 2. <laughs> the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace upon you and peace be multiplied. Well, that's a pretty heavy opening in verse 2 of, of, a, of any letter written, is that, you know, now we know that you're the elect. You're, you, you're, you're saved, you're sealed by the foreknowledge or the prognosis of God, the Father, through the sanctification, the, the cleaning up of the Spirit as you go along unto obedience, unto obedience. So we are called to be obedient, whether we like it or not disobedience 
does one or all of the things that I just mentioned about the Spirit quench, grieve, vex? You resist when you willfully disobey the, the Scriptures. And the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace upon you, or unto you, and the peace be multiplied. Let's think about this blood of Jesus Christ. The thing that so many, even in mainstream Christianity, uh, and I mean Southern Baptists, like John MacArthur, who says, not the blood of Jesus Christ that saved you. Sometimes you'll think you get too old to preach or teach, but uh, I'm, we're not bashing him either. Uh, here's the thing. In, in, the, in the Old Testament, and we'll probably end with this today. In the Old Testament, what did they do? The people brought their sacrifices to the temple. They, the, we'll, we'll stick with specifically the sheep, the lamb. It had to be perfect. It had to have no blemish. No, no, not one black hair on that sheep or a patch of bad skin or anything. It had to be a perfect sheep to be sacrificed for their forgiveness of sins for that year. And then the next year we'd turn around and do it all over again. Now, in between, you had to do the, the twisting off turtle doves and all the other uh, sacrificial systems that were set up by God for different things that you might commit during the year. But the big one was the Passover lamb that had to be perfect, had to be clear and clean. And then he would be sacrificed. And that blood then would be taken in by the high priest to the Holy of Holies and sprinkled on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And that was good for a year. And the people held very tight to that. They, 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 uh, every year at Passover, they, they'd make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem to partake in this sacrificial system. Jesus did this for us once and for all. Now think about these people. They knew that that sheep, that lamb that they took up there on to the temple on Passover was their way out for the year until Passover rolled around again. And they, they'd have to, you know, do their best through that year to keep from sinning. And they, they really, I mean, they, these people did their best. I mean, they, they followed the law, you know, that was set down by uh, Moses on the mountain and then added to by the Pharisees and everybody else that added to their laws to add more and more weight to them. And they did their best to follow them because they knew they could be stoned or, or whatever, tossed off a cliff or just completely thrown out of the society, which at that point would mean the end of them eternally. 
So they did their best to stay pious and stay on track with the Mosaic law system. And I imagine many were very religious in following that. They had to be. They knew knew what it was all about. In comes Jesus, who goes to the cross willingly and dies for all of us. The sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ unto you, and peace be multiplied. The sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. His his blood was sprinkled across an imaginary mercy seat. His blood, the blood of the most perfect sacrifice, the only perfect sacrifice, the only one who could be sacrificed, has been sprinkled on your life if you're a Christian. It's been sprinkled upon you to uphold his holy name. And as we go through some more of uh, the, the uh, epistle of Peter here, we will see that played out and how it's supposed to work in our lives and what we are to try to attain to. This is not works salvation. This is not gaining eternal life by works. This is understanding that Jesus died and gave everything for us. His blood was sprinkled on us at salvation. And that is good forever. I don't have to come back next year on my salvation date, which I have no idea what actual day it was. I know it was in July somewhere of 1988. I didn't write it down. I don't make a big deal about it because that's all about me. I just know what year and I know what month and I know how much backsliding I did between then and there, here. And I'm forever not happy about that. But I can tell you this. Once you come to the realization of that perfect sacrifice and what it entailed and and what he had to go through, what he put up with, leaving eternity, leaving glory with his father and stepping into our time-constrained world with all of its problems, all of its sickness, all of its disease, all of its aches and pains, and then to be castigated, killed, beaten, I should have put that first, beaten, spit upon, called names, and even while he hung on the cross, have them go by and basically mock him. And he looks at these people and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. How much more gracious can you be than that? If you could find a pastor that was that gracious, it'd be awesome. Or if you could find a Christian that was that gracious, it'd be awesome, including me. We all need to work 
on our grace towards our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We all need to start looking past all the lines that have been driven or drawn between this denomination, that denomination, these people, those people, and all the other people. Even the people that sit across from you in, in the pews on the other side of the aisle. Oh, well, look at him. Look how she dressed, you know, whatever. Whatever. Or you know, don't don't they have a, a bathtub in their house? What you know, it goes on and on. Eternity will not be this way. God's eternity is going to be the ultimate blessing because we will put all this garbage behind us. The garbage of religion that says, Oh, well, you know. I don't want to go with what those Methodists are saying because they don't really know what they're talking about. And then, you know, I love it. You know, get talking about that. I'm just going to, as I wind down here, you, you listen to people that talk about in denominational senses that, uh, you know, I, I, we sat down with a, a folks one day in, in a restaurant and we, we were standing in line forever waiting to get in. And they said, why don't you just sit with us? There was an old guy who's a preacher and his wife. Didn't know him from Adam's cat. Where do you guys go to church? And I said, well, we go to a Baptist church down here. Oh, once saved, always saved. It's first thing out of their mouth. I'm like, I believe that if you are truly saved, yes, you are. Now, I don't believe that if you whisper the prayer one time and then I never talk to you again, that no. Sometimes people are coerced into things. Sometimes people are... If I just say the prayer with this dude, he'll shut up and leave me alone. Their lives are in in our hands at that point. It's discipleship at that point. But we'll see this disappear. Sin will be no more. And that's that's something we can all look forward to. You know, where, where we are clean and clear. But the blood of Jesus Christ, sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ on your life seals you, makes you a child of the King. Until the next time, Tom Richardson with her moving confusion. Have a great day, and it will be soon, I guarantee you, that we get back together. And we go more through First Peter and talk about living a holy life. Bye.